0: Well, hello, Ozark family. Good evening again, and welcome to Convocation, yeah. I love Convocation, and I'm certainly delighted to get a chance to share some words with you guys based on the Gospel of John. So let me, uh, we're going to try to get y'all involved a little bit, so let's do a little quick, like, audience participation check or participation readiness check. That's what we'll call it. Everybody, if you would, just say Jesus. Jesus. One more time. Jesus. Jesus. All right, one more time, actually. Let me hear it again. Very good. Yeah, He is the first word, He is the last word, and He is the best word in between. If you lock that in, you're going to be all right. Pull out your phones if you would, actually. We all got them, and they're a distraction, so we might as well acknowledge it. Pull out your messaging apps, and just like whoever you last texted, just pull it up real quick right now. Just text him. just Jesus. You can add some, you know, like an... I'm do an exclamation mark. Just Jesus. Just send it, man. Whoever it is. You can follow up later. Just Jesus, all right? After that, just pull out. Uh, I don't know what your like social media choice of you know whatever preference. And pull up Twitter, Facebook, whatever it is. Just tw- just tweet or, or update just Jesus. <laughs> nice, thank you. Ah, there you go. I didn't even think about that. A lot of you have my number, don't you? All right, here we go. At least I know you're here. All right, yeah, on Twitter, Facebook, just tweet it, Facebook it, Jesus. Just go for it. Then when you're done, like, off. Turn that sucker off. If you got kids at home, you can go into vibrate. Other than that, just like all the way, off, not distractions. There we go. Slide it, gone. You can follow up later with the Facebook stuff as well. Hopefully some of you are still on Facebook, because if so, it's sort of like this, we just kind of participated in some evangelism ministry to Russian spies. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I ran that joke by Chad Ragsdale. He approved it in second, you know, hindsight. It's maybe not the best check. I don't know. Anyway, some of you guys are looking around like, I'm not thinking about Russians. I'm thinking about her and I'm going to find her and I'm going to like that post later. It will be smooth. It will not, but you go ahead, I guess. You'll tire of hearing cheesy romance jokes around here. And for that, we do apologize. You're also going to get tired of hearing a handful of quotes. And for that, we'll never apologize. One of them comes from Seth Wilson. Who is Seth Wilson? Most of you have heard his name. You may know he's the founding dean of Ozark Christian College. I wanted to give you a visual. There's a picture of Seth Wilson. Oh, there you have it. Oh, it's up a little quick. Okay, here's the story. Like, I was going to grab that thing and bring it tonight and just show you. But I picked that thing up off the wall in the library, and it was like it was kind of fragile and it freaked me out a little bit because I thought, like, if I break this... I think I might break me. You know what I mean? Like, that's the end of it. So and it, thankfully, Chris Dewell caught me and my little co-conspirator stealing it. And so that's a picture of Seth Wilson. He wasn't a large man, like five feet and some change, but he was packed with scriptural power. I like to call him the tiny boss, but I'm not sure Mark Scott likes that very much. He is indeed one of the men who started this school, and most of the time, you'll hear him associated with certain quotes. But in our home, the name Seth Wilson has a little bit of a double meaning. There's this uh little little character we have. Here he is. Like yeah, it's this little frog. He's got this removable somebody at OCC loves me shirt. This is Carson's, my son's. We bought this for him not too long ago. They're only like 12.99 in the bookstore by the way. And um And we're like, what do you want to name it, man? And he's he's like, well, let's name it Froggy. And I'm like, dude, that is so boring. You've got to name it Seth Wilson. And he's like, I don't want to name it Seth Wilson. I'm like, buddy, name it Seth Wilson. I don't want to name it Seth Wilson. And so our kids are kind of afraid that when they get a toy really quickly, it's going to end up in a garage sale. So I'm like, all right, dude, I'll make you a deal. You name this thing Seth Wilson, and we will never get rid of it. Forever. And he's like, it's Seth Wilson, right? So, this is Seth Wilson, which means in our home, on any given evening, you might hear the phrase, tonight I think I'm gonna snuggle with Seth Wilson. <laughs> you know? Or like, I remember one time he said, Mommy, I just took Seth Wilson's shirt off. <laughs> Beth just looking at me like, this is your fault, you know? <laughs> So this is Seth Wilson in our home, but Seth Wilson around here, of course, was a person who started this place. Like I said, here's one of the quotes. You know what's coming if you've been here for like more than a couple minutes. What did he say? Who we teach you to love is more important than what we teach you to know. Raise your hand if you've heard that already. Yes, for a reason. Now, let me go ahead and clarify the meaning of this because sometimes it gets a little muddy. He's not talking about people. Like he's not saying like we teach you to love people out there and they're more important than the knowledge that we're providing for you. Like people matter, but Jesus matters more. And his point, just so we're clear, is that teaching you to love Jesus is why we're here. And it's what we do and it's more important than the knowledge that we provide for you. And that knowledge is designed to serve this one end. Who we teach you to love is more important than what we teach you to know. The second quote was actually already alluded to this evening, and it comes from one of our current leaders, our cowboy from California, our current dean, Doug Aldridge, who was the first one, as far as I know, to say, Ozark Christian College is a Jesus school. Yeah, you are gonna hear that a lot. Now, now, Seth Wilson was not, and Doug Aldridge is not a perfect person. They would be the first to admit that, Doug here and Seth if you were here. But they, along with other countless men and women, have participated by playing their part in creating a special place a place we call Ozark. A place that is committed to keeping our eyes on Jesus. And so our opening series this year is, let's start with Jesus, and our text is the Gospel of John. Now, you don't have your Bibles, and I just told you to turn off your phones. so we're going to read it again, just to make sure we kind of hear this. So listen in with your ears. Here again is what John says at the beginning of his Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Now there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through Him all might believe that He Himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world, John testified concerning Him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after Me has surpassed Me because He was before Me. And out of His fullness, we have all received grace and place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is Himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made Him known. John chapter 1, verses 1-18. through 18. Keep your head down. And your eyes up. That's what I want to say this evening. That's the message in a nutshell. That is your formula for success while you're here at Ozark, whether it's for one semester or a handful of years. Head down, eyes up. I want to make sure and lock this in if we can. So could I have all my gentlemen say, head down. down. And my ladies say, eyes up. up. Let's flip it, ladies. You would say, "Head head down. And then the fellas, eyes up. Now all together, head down, eyes up. It's kind of hard to do. Like I was talking about this at my home and the kids were like, we're going to try this out, right? So they're like, just give it a shot. Like they're like looking to head down. It's really attractive for convocation. You got extra neck everywhere. It's okay, right? So head down, just do it. I'm 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 watching you. Head down, eyes up. I want you to have like a physical memory experience of trying to do this. Head down, eyes up. Like, I wanted to round out the statement, too. Like, I wanted to go Friday Night Lifestyle. style. I know you're maybe too young, but y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah? Like, clear eyes, full heart. Can't lose. Yeah, like 14 of you know it. That's all right. Like, Texas forever, for those of you who do. So I'm thinking, like, what can we add to this, you know? Head down, eyes up, never quit. Now that's kind of cheesy. That's not a Rufio. Head down, eyes up, bangerang. No, that doesn't make any sense. Like I thought of Isaac Shade, head down, eyes up, boom sauce, you know, like, no, like it just, for any of you who love country music, we could go with head down, eyes up, Jesus take the wheel. Like I was going through all kinds of stuff. I almost landed on a selfish one, which was head down, eyes up, read the syllabus, okay? But I decided not to be selfish and two will do just fine. Head down, eyes up, y'all. That's what I want to say. First up, keep your head down. I want to be clear about how we're using this pretty common expression. It often has this sense of avoiding trouble, avoiding conflict, you know, kind of staying out of the way, just minding your own business, trying not to be noticed. And it's kind of yes and no. Like I'm not talking about avoiding conflict and I'm not talking about not asking big questions. I'm not talking about not wrestling with big things, but I am in that sense trying to capture this sense of like not trying to play God, like play your part, like know your role and be in the place where you currently are. Like, don't try to fix the world in a day. Don't come in here thinking in a couple of years you're going to be the biggest, baddest, ready world changer the 21st century has so far seen. Like, drop the silly dreams. That is a part of it. Stay in your place. But more than anything, like what I specifically mean is, get to work. Like when we say head down, what we mean is get to work. Put your head down and go for it. Be a disciplined person who works hard. Refuse to be a complainer. Fight procrastination with everything in you. Be diligent when you're tired, be tired for all the right reasons. Not because you're immature and you lack self-control and don't know how to go to sleep at night, but because like you do everything as if doing it for the Lord, not for men. Enter this season as if you're walking into a weight room and just embrace the fact that like you're about to push yourself beyond your current capacities. Dig deep and get to work. Whether you realize this yet or not, God sent you to Ozark so that you might learn to work hard, to do hard things. Speaking of which, you know, one of the things that another thing that you'll hear probably often enough around here to start rolling your eyes at it is that ministry is hard. And we say it because it's true. Now it's not the only truth about ministry. Like ministry is awesome, it's fun, it's some of the best friendships you'll ever have, or people that you're partnering with in gospel work, whether you get a paycheck from a church or not is beside the point. Some of the most meaningful moments you'll have with God are when you know that you're doing the thing that He put you here to do and you're working alongside people and the Holy Spirit is filling you and it's good. It's like wonderful, but it's not easy. Man, just in the last few weeks, I've had multiple conversations with graduates who are just trying to figure out how to do ministry. It's hard. Talk talked to this one young guy who's trying to lead this men's retreat and he's trying to figure out how can he structure the retreat in such a way that it draws men from different age brackets. I remember this because he specifically said to me, we're really trying to pull in some of the middle-aged guys and we think you'll be kind of a draw for them how old do you think I am? You know what I mean? Anyway, so he's trying to figure out how to pull all these people in. Another young couple is leading a discipleship group of people who are 10, 20, 30 years older than them. And they followed, they stepped into this, willingly said, we want you guys to teach us what you know about how to follow Jesus. And they're looking at them like, are you serious? We could be your children. In some cases, your grandchildren, and you're looking at us Another one is trying to figure out how to teach some lessons to some junior hires in such a way that they'll actually pay attention and cut through the noise and lock into some of what's actually being communicated. Man, my heart broke this summer. I was talking to a youth minister who had a group of students he was trying to work with, and they were talking about how, like, man, these kids come from some homes that make yours look like cookie cutter, even if yours are hard, and he's trying to introduce the concept to them of God as Father and the church as your mother. And this is just like, it's just messy. It's getting difficult for me to count the amount of people, fairly young people, not been out very long, who are struggling with loneliness and uncertainty and depression. We're talking to students recently who just finished this place, ready to roll, excited for what God's planned for her future, and she's getting to spend the next couple of years continuing in another phase of preparation. The plans are there. She's going. It's just that the next couple of years aren't exactly going to look like what she thought when she stepped into these four years. Like Sometimes you find that these things are difficult, and you got to ask yourself the question, Like, what are you going to do when it's you? What are you going to do when you're staring in the faces of grandmas and grandpas? Believers, non-believers, men, women, young, old, little kids, all across the board, and they're looking at you saying, hey, how can I fix my marriage? How can I raise these kids to love Jesus? How come it feels like God gave me desires that He told me I'm not supposed to express? Hey, I worked for the same company for 40 years and they just dropped me last week. What do I do with my life now? Hey, why should I believe your version of Jesus? Other people seem to think like, no, he's different than what you're saying. What are you going to say? You think in the beginning was the word is a sufficient answer? Well, I hope so because it is. But you got to say it wisely and you got to say it well. And that's hard work. Can I tell you something I hope you never do because I'm just going to be real with y'all. It really annoys me. It happens all the time. And the next time it happens, you're going to be looking at me like, you're annoyed at that person. And I'm going to be like, yeah, I'm annoyed at that person. Like, don't be that person who graduates. Like, you go through your years here and you graduate and then you go off to do ministry and then we invite you back to speak to future generations of Ozarkians. And you step up and you're in the middle of your sermon and you're just going for it. And you're like, and I was in such and such ministry situation and it was so difficult. And I was like, well, Bible college didn't prepare me for this. As if you're the first person to think of this particular rhetorical device. You know what I mean? And I'm not trying to be defensive. I'm really not. I'm very aware of our weaknesses and I'm very aware of our limitations as much as I can be. But yes, we did. Or they did in previous eras. Yeah. Yeah, no, they did. Were you prepared for this exact specific situation? Did we talk through this precise details of what's going on in front of you? Like maybe, but you might have been on your phone distracted at the time, but probably not. Like in in a lot of cases, no. We didn't actually deal with this particular situation, which is beside the point. Because the question in that moment is not whether or not you have a stock answer ready to just make their pain go away. That wouldn't help anyway. The question is, what kind of a person have you become? At that point in time, have you become the kind of person who's going to work hard enough to find an answer in the Scriptures and going to walk them through the sometimes slow and painful process of living out biblical wisdom in this scenario? The question is, do you have the right combination of knowledge and grace and goodwill and, and just grit to care for them as the hands and feet of Jesus? Are you the kind of person who will put your head down and get to work? And that's what we're trying to train you to be. God sent you to Ozark so that you might learn to work hard, to do hard things. Case in point, interpreting John 1, 1 through 1-18. I mean, come on. Now, our goal tonight is not to exposit and execute all the details of this text. This is a special occasion, right? But just think about this text for a moment. It is driving what we're talking about tonight. If you really want to understand what John is saying, you got a lot of work in front of you. Like right there from the start, in the beginning. Wow, that sounds familiar. You've got to figure out what is John doing with the relationship between his story and the opening chapter of the Bible, In the beginning was the Word. Well, what is the Word? You're going to learn that you're not talking about English words here. You're studying a text that was originally written in Greek. And so you're going to do what's called a Word study. We love Word studies. And you're going to dig into this Greek word logos, and you're going to discover that it's a huge word. Sometimes it means word, or matter, or thing, or act of communication, or message. It's got this wide range. And you're going to study Greek philosophy, because they love this word. And you're going to look into Hebrew prophets, because they spoke the Word of God. And you're going to dig deep into this word, and you're going to move forward a little bit you're going to realize that in the next statement, the word was God, you've got a grammar question. In the Greek language, when there's no definite article, does it mean that you have a proper noun or not? And it sounds like a tedious issue, but literally this is the thing that divides Jehovah's Witnesses from the rest of us. Like this might be an issue you're going to want to look into. And as you dig deeper, there's all sorts of allusions to Old Testament characters and Old Testament events. There's these themes that John drops in like light and life, and they just sort of expand throughout his Gospel like a firework. And you're going to need to trace out all those connections. And then, gosh, then you're going to need to look up like structural devices like chiasm. Everybody say chiasm. Yeah, I don't like chiasms except when they're there. I think there might be one here. Some of y'all are like, I don't even know what these people are saying, uh, chiasm, is that like like when you swallow a key and you get sick or something? I don't understand. No, it's like this poetic device where the first part and the last part connect, and then the second and the second to last, and you keep doing that, and the middle part is the point. I think you're looking at that in John chapter 1. You got Jesus' role in creation and the revelation of God of the bookends, then his role in salvation and the Exodus and the other part. We don't go through the whole details, just know it's gonna be a lot of work if you're gonna understand John 1, 1 through 18, much less live it out, much less try to help somebody else do the same. And we're just talking about basic exegesis. Like that's just one small piece of the pie of ways that you will learn here to work hard. You ever had a roommate without a parent to referee? Oh, it's fun. It's hard. Especially in a place like this. Dorm life in a place like this where we want you to actually deal with your sin together. That's not clean. That's not easy. Like most of y'all probably know, we got, a, we got like a million dollar gift this summer from a donor. Yeah, isn't that awesome? We got like a million dollars at one shot and we're going to redo alumni, which is so cool. Like it's going to be amazing to start this process of renovating our dorms. And it also means that you just took one dorm of girls and you're just going to send them into two other dorms of girls. I'm sure there won't be any conflict with that, you know? Like, it's a wonderful gift, and I'm talking about the conflict too. Joking aside, dating in a community like this is complicated. It's hard. It's okay. Following the rules for some of you, it's hard. And that's okay. And none of it works unless you put your head down and get to work. And none of the work means much unless you keep your eyes up. Head down, eyes out. you got to keep your eyes up. Whether you know this or not, God sent you to Ozark so that you might learn to see Jesus. To keep your attention focused on Him. This is a theme throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament especially, of course. Maybe you think of a verse in Hebrews 12 where the author of Hebrews says, to keep your eyes, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Maybe you think of 2 Corinthians 3 where Paul talks about how we're transformed into His image as we gaze upon Him, as we look at His glory as in a mirror. Maybe you think in Ephesians 1 where Paul prays, may the eyes of your heart be enlightened. Of course, you have the book of Revelation which is all these visions of Jesus and then explanations of what it is that John saw. We sing songs like turn your eyes upon Jesus and give us a glimpse of your glory because that's in our text. Seeing Jesus is one of many themes in John's Gospel Here it's related to things like signs and light and the blind receiving sight, and then at a larger level it's what the whole book is designed to do to show so that you might know, to show you Jesus, so that you might know who he is, what he did, what he does, what he's doing. When we talk about seeing Jesus, we're talking about maintaining an active awareness of who he is as a real present person whose work defines you and whose person is very much alive, thinking about Jesus. The Gospel provides many blessings, but its blessings become real as we think about them. Keeping Jesus before your eyes. Take John 1, for instance. Part of the point of this text, part of the heart of this text, is that everything traces back to two and finds its center in Him. He is the one who holds all creation together. He's the one who holds the story of the Bible together. He's the one who reveals God most clearly. He's the perfect embodiment of grace and truth. He's the one who provides access into God's family. He is light. He is life. He is everything. But you won't see that if you're distracted. Which we are. Back in 2002, Dallas Willard was writing in a book called The Renovation of the Heart. He says, what characterizes, no, what plagues most churches, whether large or small, is simple distraction. And this was like five years before the first one of these was made. Longtime teacher Kenny Bowles just retired a couple years ago from here at Ozark Christian College. He said, you know, a lot of people will overplay the differences between students of these days and students of past generations. He said, most of it's just bad memory. So students today don't know the Bible any less than they did back then. You're not any less passionate about ministry. You don't love Jesus any less. You're not any less interested in obedience. He said, all that is just a bunch of people complaining about stuff. He said, but the difference I've noticed, and then he pointed to this. He said, it's just right there at your fingertips all the time. And he's not even talking about sinful stuff. He's just talking about the availability of a distraction. We go to bed, but we don't go to sleep. We go to bed and we do this, you know? It's always on your mind. You're always slightly somewhere else. And that makes it difficult to keep your eyes on Jesus, man. Distractions make us dumb because they get us to stop thinking about what matters most. And, and a lot of times it's like they, they, they draw our attention to what might matter, but just not as much. And other times they just draw our attention to what doesn't matter at all. Like imagine if you, if you stopped and looked at Jesus. If you stopped and intentionally thought about the truth of who He is as often as you looked at your tiny black rectangle. I'm Probably running out of time, so I'm going to get right to the point. You should assume that you don't know Jesus as well as you think. And when I say you, I mean we. All of us. Not just freshmen. Not just underclassmen. Not just students. All of us. Eugene Peterson says, there are no experts in the company of Jesus. We are all beginners. We should assume we don't know Jesus as well as we think. I know of no other way to maintain the kind of repentant spirit necessary for a lifetime of increasing obedience to Jesus. And maybe you're thinking like, wait, hold up, me? Like, I get it. There's a lot of people out there who don't know Him, but me? I've put in my time. Like, this is my last convocation. Or maybe you're young and you're thinking like, maybe you say that to like the people in my youth group who didn't go to Bible college, because I know what they're doing right now, and it's not listening to a long sermon about Jesus. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like maybe they don't know him clearly, but I do. And I just want you to like, I, say, I want you to know like I feel you, but be very careful. Because it's easy when you have some proximity to Jesus to get vaccinated against the real thing. You know how vaccinations work, right? Like you take a small portion of the disease or whatever it is and you input it into your bloodstream so that your system can get used to it. So that when the real thing comes, you have a defense against it. It's good when you're fighting against the disease. It's not so good when the real Jesus shows up and you've spent just enough time in church and just enough time rubbing shoulders with spiritual people and just, just enough time in the Bible to think you have the answers and then He shows up and says, I'm here, and you've already gotten used to just a little bit of Jesus so much so that you just shut yourself off from the real thing, thing standing right in front of your face. One of the... I don't like to compare. We love all y'all. One of one of the sharpest students I've had the pleasure of teaching, a young man named Joel Becker, he graduated recently. I remember this. Um, I'll never forget this time in issues and interpretation. We're doing an exercise that's designed to get us to become aware of our presuppositions that we bring to the Bible. And I'm doing this thing where you know I'll kind of give them a sentence and then they'll fill in the blank. Jesus is my or lost people are or whatever it is. And I did this thing. Simple. God is my. And I figure I know what the answers are, and most of them were pretty predictable. Father, Redeemer, these sorts of things. And I remember Joel sitting up in the back, and immediately he just says, judge. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not proud of this, but my first inclination was, man, you okay? (laughs) Like not Father, Redeemer, even something like King. Why do you go to judge at first, man? Are you good? Like is everything fine? And it didn't sit well with me that that didn't sit well with me and so then over the course of the next couple of months I did an inductive study of the New Testament as a whole I just walked through from Matthew 1 to the end of Revelation and I looked at everything that was said about judgment about God as our judge like again this is this book written by those who knew Jesus best who were directly inspired by God to provide for us a mistake free witness to who God is and Joel was right like according to Jesus' closest homies, God is my judge and that's good news because if it's true, it's worth celebrating. And yet here I was concerned about a guy telling the truth. I realized in that moment that a change of mindset was called for on my part. And the Bible word for that is repentance. Changing your mind so that it better reflects reality. It's changing one set of lenses for another so that you better see Jesus. Get used to that. It's painful, but it's why you're here. Jake Gresham Machen writes in the book Christianity and Liberalism, says light may seem at times to be an impertinent intruder, but it is always beneficial in the end. Which is a really fancy way of saying, it's not fun to realize you're getting Jesus wrong, but it's the only path to genuine joy. Because the truth about Jesus may hurt, but it's better than kicking around in a lie. It's like some of y'all will know that hopefully the rest of you can resonate enough. It's like when you get a new pair of glasses... And you put them on and you walk out of the store and everything just is a little off. Any of y'all know what I'm talking about? It just, it like hurts a little bit. It's just like, what is wrong with the world? You know what I'm saying? Like, the lights are brighter and the ground is closer and everything's so intense and you first, you think to yourself, is something wrong with these lenses? And the answer is no, nothing's wrong with them. You're in pain because your eyes have gotten used to not seeing clearly. The problem is not the glasses that you're wearing. Like you feel off balance because you got used to looking at the world from a bad angle. And then in those moments you close your eyes and you're just like, ah, there, my eyes are tired and I don't want to look at the light. It's so bright and you just want to put the old lenses back on and stop the pain. Don't stop the pain. Keep those eyelids open. Keep them turned back. Keep your eyes open and up. Otherwise you'd just be carried along by... Whatever you're reading or whatever other people are tweeting or whatever you happen to be passionate about at the time. Don't put a ton of faith in what you happen to be passionate about right now. I don't mean to demean your passions, but would you want to be guided by what you were passionate about when you were like 13 or 15 or even 17? Now, I'm not saying that 18 or 22 or 45-year-old you is the same as 13 or 15-year-old you, but at the same time, let's acknowledge that a few years of incremental sanctification has not like not like miraculously turned you into a fresh incarnation of the Holy Spirit. Unless your name is Chris DeWelt, in which case you're probably fine. But... Like for the rest of us, that's not really how it works. You know, to keep your eyes up, you've got to get them off other things. Get your eyes off your classmates. Just decide right now that you will never rank yourself during your entire time at Ozark Christian College. Get... Get your eyes off of your of your professors and staff and leaders. Like, we don't want you looking at us. We want you looking up. Get your eyes off of the masses. I feel like God has called me to preach to lots of people. Has He really? You need to stop thinking about what you are thinking about and start thinking about Jesus. Get your eyes off the mirror. If you're going to keep your eyes on Jesus, you've got to get your eyes off of other things because it's not head down, eyes all around, or head down, eyes in. It's head down, eyes up. And God sent you to Ozark so that you might learn to see Jesus, to keep your attention focused on him. And glancing won't work. Glancing doesn't do the trick. You can't just look every now and then. You've got to focus, concentrate, fix, lock, set. You gotta keep your eyes on him. For any of y'all who grew up in church or around church, you know how, like in church, just, this is this is sort of standard like the answer to all the questions was Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you know, like what's the capital of Oklahoma City? Oklahoma. Well, I'm pretty sure it's Oklahoma City, but I also know it has to be Jesus. Like that kind of thing. Whatever the question is, Jesus. Yeah, like you came to Ozark to pay a lot of money so that we could tell you that you weren't wrong. Who was ultimately the answer to all the best questions? Who does John's Gospel describe as the Word made flesh, the true light, the only begotten One, God's chosen One, the Teacher, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, twice in case we missed the emphasis, the King of Israel, the Son of Man, and the Son of God. And that's literally just the first chapter. Who in the same gospel do we later learn as the bridegroom, the prophet, the savior of the world, the bread of life, the light of the world, the I am in the flesh, the gate for the sheep, the good shepherd of the same, the resurrection and the life, also the way, also the truth, also the vine in whom alone we produce fruit. And that's just a few more of the explicit titles. Like still in the same book, He's also the disruptor of temples, the knower of secrets, the kingdom bringer, the healer, the one who saves us from God's wrath, the maker of disciples, the one about whom Moses wrote, the feeder of thousands with loaves and fish, the one who possesses the words of life. Words most of us don't understand, but still... Here he is also depicted as the fulfiller fulfiller of Israel's festivals, the interpreter of Israel's scriptures, the washer of feet, the giver of sight, the one who isn't afraid to fight with really smart people whom he baffles with his brilliance, and very powerful men whom he silences with authority, the one who died for your sins, the one who came out the other side, the initiator of new creation, the sender of the church to announce forgiveness, the restorer of betrayers, the only worthy recipient of glory, honor, and fame whose too many great deeds don't fit in one frame I know y'all know his name yes you know him and you came to know him better that's why you're here that's why you came so tell me I want to hear it what is his name I want to hear it again what is his name tell me once more what is his name that's right head down eyes up welcome to the 2018 19 academic school year at Ozark Christian College May we finish where we began because we are starting with Jesus. Father God, bless this year. Open eyes. Help us to see Your Son so that He might be glorified in us.